Do you ever feel like your book is targeting a very specific niche, a small group of people? Well, sometimes that can be a strength and sometimes it can be a weakness, but it makes it a lot easier to get started. And niche marketing is exactly what we're going to be talking about today. I'm Thomas Umstadt, Jr., CEO of Author Media, and this is Novel Marketing, the longest running book marketing podcast in the world. This is the show for writers who want to build their platform, sell more books, and make a difference with writing worth talking about. And today it's time for Ask a Vulcan, where I talk with an author who has questions, maybe the same kind of questions that you do about how to overcome challenges. And today we're talking with Ashley Rescott, who is a music aficionado and a violin player and has a unique challenge when it comes to niche marketing. So Ashley, welcome to the Novel Marketing Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I love your show. I listen every week. (laughs) (laughs) Yay. So tell us a little bit about your challenge and what you write. So yes, I write music fiction. And I have published a series of short stories called The Chronicles of Music Majors. And it really is targeted primarily at either musicians or people who really enjoy music. And so I've given it to various beta readers and asked, do you think I should go more general market? But really it seems to resonate the most with people who are already familiar at least somewhat with the music world and so I was curious to get your thoughts on have you worked with other uh, authors or artists that really target a specific group of people so I love this kind of target whenever somebody says I have a niche I'm always curious what kind of niche they have because sometimes they're like I'm writing for 24 year old women and that is a terrible niche because 24 year old women are really different, right? Some 24-year-old women have three children and they're staying home and some 24-year-old women are still in college and other ones are running businesses and some of them are traveling Europe trying to figure out what they want to do with their lives, right? Like that is not a useful niche. Whereas fiction for music lovers, that's an actually useful niche. Now it's not useful in the sense of, right, they could be old, they could be young, they could be men, they could be women, but it is very useful when it comes to marketing because they want the same sort of things in a story and they probably hang out in the same kinds of places online. And you can become one of maybe only a handful or maybe the only person who writes, you know, music focused fiction. So that, I guess that's my next question. Have you done research to see if there's other authors who are writing the same kind of fiction? So yes, I have done research to see if there are others, and I found a few. There was a Victoria Kimball who wrote a similar book. She released it a year ago called The Main Dish, and hers was, again, a violinist who had kind of like a little trio with her, you know, a romance and then the best friend style, and she wrote it for a young adult as well. It's targeting just a little bit younger than probably my readers. I'm probably going for high school, college, and she was targeting more middle school, high school, but very similar in style. And then she also has written a whole like Choir Girl series, and so she's really tapped into those music lovers. And then I've definitely found some other specific books by more like historical romance or inspirational historical romance writers who have had like a violin main character as only one out of many books that they write. So where most of their books aren't necessarily music fiction, but they'll have one specific book that follows the life of a musician. But I am the only one so far who's coined herself as a music fiction writer from what I can find. So other people have dabbled in this genre 
you know, I've written a book in this, but you're like, I want to plant my flag. This is what I want to be. I want to be the kind of own this market. And when it comes to a brand new market, there is an advantage to being the very first one, but there's also a big advantage to not being the very first one. I don't know if you've seen the movie Iron Will. It's this old Disney movie about this dog sled team. But early on in the race, this young kid, he's got his, his you know snow dogs and they're going up this hill and they're out in front and they're at the top of the hill and they're just exhausted because they've done all this work getting up to the hill and all the other sleds race on past them because they'd packed the snow, making it easier for everyone behind them. So sometimes it's nice to be the second person off of the transport on T-Day, not the first person, because the first person is the one who's taken all the bullets. And so ha- being a fat, what's called a fast follower strategy, which is what Microsoft does and what Apple does, actually, <laughs> where they look at the good ideas that somebody else is doing and then they copy them very quickly. There's a lot to be said about that. So I would encourage you to read all of the books by these other authors who've dabbled in this market. And I also want you to read all of the reviews for their books. I want you to see what about their books are resonating and what about their books are not resonating. Because they're probably not doing this much research, right? They wrote this book one time and now they're off to the next you know, micro niche, right? Because there's a certain kind of author who finds a group of people and they're like, I'm going to write a book for policemen <laughs> or police, the wives of policemen, right? They'll pick some really narrow niche and then they write one story for them and then they move on to the next one. They don't stay in that niche then? Right. They just kind of dabble. They go from one one to the other. And there's some movies actually that do the same thing. Whereas for you, since you're really wanting to get to know this market, I want you to really do research and I, I want you to find the phrases that are common in the five-star reviews and find the phrases that are common in the three-star and the two and the one-star. One-stars are not typically not very useful because it's often just the wrong kind of person. But if somebody's leaving a two or three-star review, it means they're the right kind of person that's unhappy often. And so take a look at that. So I guess my next question is how do you, what kind of access do you have to this group of uh, musical book readers? Well, that's what I've been spending the past uh, year and a half really trying to delve into. I know you're not a big social media fan, but I have tried to figure out where are the musicians hanging out? Where are, especially even the string players, like I'm a violinist, and I figured out a lot of the key places may not be the same as, say, where authors are hanging out. A lot of authors like hanging out on Twitter, but that's not been musicians that's not as effective for them not that they're not ever on there but they want to play their music and they want other people to hear them or they want other people to see them playing their music so definitely it's been more of instagram probably for a lot of the millennials but when i still want to be able to find some of the older musicians definitely the facebook groups and then the really younger ones the gen z's are on twitch (laughs) so i've found that kind of it's definitely been a little bit depending on the age of the musicians but I'm trying to write the books that will appeal to different ages. Because if I just want to write for, like you said, 24-year-old violinist, that's going to be too small of a niche. So I'm trying to make it to where it can appeal to various ages, but people who have in common the love of especially classical music. It's not limited to only classical, but that would be the target. And so I've really tried to build up a relationship in some of these different platforms and with my email list with other musicians and string players. Um, Another one is a big online publication, violinist.com. I've really enjoyed reading some of the editor's works that she's been in this, in this niche for two or three decades now. So she has really insightful content. Yeah. So this is a good example of where you might be able to use some kind of nonfiction techniques like article writing 
to get into or to reach this audience, right? So I, I don't know if violinist.com takes guest articles, but I imagine you can pitch them and be like, hey, they can do, I write yes. a, a guest article? Yeah, so start writing for violinist.com now, even before your book comes out. It can help you build up that reputation with them. Because the first one, the first article is always the hardest. If you can write a really good article and they enjoy it, it's got good reaction. It's a lot easier to get invited back. Often you get given a totally different email address to pitch. It's like, you know, they have the gatekeeper to weed out all the riffraff. But once you've written an article and they like it, they're like, oh, here's my personal email. You can next time you want to write for us, you know, anytime. That's kind of the reaction that you want to get. And that way you can line up your articles with the launch of your book which really helps. And in terms of social media, one uh, social network you didn't mention, I, I want you to research is Discord. See if there's any Discord servers for musicians, especially violinists, talking to each other about music. And if that doesn't exist, you may want to create your own. Because <laughs> Discord's the hottest social network right now, especially for this kind of uh, communication. And I imagine Discord's really popular with these kinds of classical musicians because it's a audio centric platform as much as a text-centric platform which means that you could play music right you could actually be interacting about the thing that you like and not just talking about it built right in so have you have you done any research on discord yet a tiny bit because of when i delved into twitch when i did some research there and it did seem like that was where a lot of people were hanging out so i need to go more in depth into discord but yes we tend to be very audio centric more so than text which is ironic for a writer but I'm heavily auditory, for sure. Yeah. So I think the kind of people who are on Twitch are also on Discord. I'm not stereotyping. It is what it is. I said what I said. So No, it's, I think it's true. Yes. It's maybe not 100%, but that audience. And some of you listening are like, what is Twitch? What is Discord? Well, this is why knowing your niche is really important. Because your niche may not be on Discord, right? I don't know if there's a Discord for people who read Amish fiction. Maybe there is, but probably it's less likely. And and there's less definitely likely. not a Twitch community for Amish readers, uh, but there is for this audience that you're developing. So one of the strategies when it comes to niche marketing and in one of the early kind of questions you need to ask is, am I creating the tent for people to come and gather? Am I the community manager, the community organizer? Am I throwing the party or am I going to parties that other people are throwing? And for most types of fiction, this isn't a question because you can't throw your own party. There's already hundreds of parties going on. There's hundreds of tents full of people and starting your own is really, really hard. And it's not a good strategy for somebody just getting started, right? No one wants to go to a party being thrown by an unpublished author, right? They want to go to the party thrown by the famous author. So it becomes the tactic that only successful authors can use. But if you're in a really small niche, things change a little bit. You can throw the party. You can host the party yourself and invite people to it. And it may be that for you, you're one of the first ones to Discord. I, I suspect, though, there's already quite a few musicians hanging out on Discord. But you could have the first musicians meet. There's already a lot of, yeah, I would not be throwing the party, probably in that case, for violinists on Discord. Right. But maybe for uh, musician novels. So if you niche down to... 
Yes, that I was going to say, that's the innovative part is the music fiction. That's the part that's unusual. And another uh, tactic that you can use, since you're going to be reading all of these music fiction books anyway to get to know the market, you can start writing reviews for those books. And you can put those, there's some, and, and there's different ways that you can do this. You can, the easiest way is to just post them to your blog, post them to Goodreads. It's the least amount of work, the least amount of benefit. <laughs> Although still potentially good for growing your email list. The next level up would be to review them on a more rich medium. So like do YouTube reviews or TikTok reviews or even have a podcast. And the cool thing about a podcast is that you can do the review. You can have a review episode, but you can also do an interview episode where you have those other authors on like, hey, would you like to be on a guest on my music fiction podcast and they are going to say yes <laughs> they're not going to say no to that <laughs> offer and it's a great opportunity to get to know the other authors in your space because the more the authors in the space collaborate the bigger the space becomes they're not your competitors your competitors are all the other authors writing all the other genres that these same people are reading right Cause somebody's a musician but they may also be a mom, right? Or they may, right? there's lots of different identities that somebody might have, right? They may be a college student. They may be a New Yorker and they want to read specific books about New Yorkers, right? We have many, many identities that are competing for our interest. And those, that's your real competition, especially as you're trying to create this genre from scratch. Yes. I would in general say it's not an easy choice <laughs> to create the genre from <laughs> scratch. It's not, but there's some real benefits to it. And uh, especially if you control the tent, right? If you're the one who's throwing the party, there are ways that you can make money even off of other people's books. And not that making money is necessarily your goal, but uh, there's a lot, the more action that happens, uh, the happier everyone becomes, right? I'm, I'm thinking back to the early days of sci-fi, right? Sci-fi used to be just a couple of authors writing science fiction oh, books, wow. <laughs> right? Think about it. There was a time when there was no sci-fi, and then there was a time that there was sci-fi. And the, those early authors interacted with each other a lot. The godfathers of uh, science fiction, you had people like Heinlein and Asimov and a few others who were writing mostly short stories, or a lot of short stories. Both these guys wrote lots of short stories, especially Asimov. And they started having magazines and publications that would publish the short stories of Asimov and Heinlein and others. And because you had the earlier ones, right? You had um, it was twenty thousand leagues under the sea. What was that guy's name? Uh, Victor Hugo. It's not Victor Hugo. Um, there was the one who wrote what we'd now call steampunk. That was like sci-fi, but in the eighteen hundreds, and the science fiction wasn't very advanced. But the real ones that started was Asimov and Heinlein. And there was a lot of work in those early days and a, a lot of work to get taken seriously, right? <laughs> and they were real scientists, Asimov was at any rate. And so half of his writings are about science and the other half is about science fiction, which is really fascinating. And, but, you know, they're still remembered now, right? They were the founders of the genre. There was a lot of guys who came in the next generation you don't remember, but people still read, read Asimov. They still read Heinlein. They still quote Asimov all the time. And, you know, I don't know if musical fiction has the chance of becoming as big as science fiction, but think about it. When science fiction came out, it was just a degree you got in college fiction, right? So why not? Why not have musical fiction be just as big? You know, people like music just as much as they like science. And I could see where, you know, I am obviously more of the romance genre, but I could see where if somebody else came in who was more of an expert in the action or thriller or sci-fi type feel, you know, there'd be room for plenty more authors in this area. Yeah, I could totally see a thriller spy uh, series where you have a spy whose cover identity is the fact that they're a musician. 
and yeah. they travel the world doing spy stuff, but also doing concerts. But they're, you know, let's say they're struggling musicians. They have to still make the concerts work and still fill them. And the conflicting, right, your agent or your handler is needing you to go and talk to a contact, but you need to also be talking with your manager and you can't let them know about each other. There's a lot of room here for I like to it. Explore. I like yeah. it. Then you add a romance theme and now, now we have your next book. We just outlined it right here. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> So where are you in the process? You're writing short stories. Have you written your first novel for this target audience? Yes. So it, I wrote it. Well, obviously, I'm one of those authors that you know wrote it 10 years ago, put it down, wrote it again, put it down. Two years ago, though, I started listening to K.M. Wyland, her podcast, and she did a lot on story structure. And so once I started listening to her, I revamped, started from zero again, and wrote the story. It took me about an, a year to write the first draft. And I did decide to go indie because of I just didn't see what publisher was doing music fiction specifically. So I thought, well, I think it's a new-ish genre. I better go indie. So then I found my developmental editor, and she's the one who sent me to you. She's like said, start listening to Thomas Umstadt. And that was a year ago. And I worked with her and then got my copy editor. And so I am working on my copy edits right now. And hopefully looking at publishing in the fall. Okay. So you're along the way, and I'm listening to see if you're violating uh, the Ninth Commandment about not publishing your first book first. But it sounds like this book oh, is... Oh, yeah. I am not publishing my first book first. <laughs> yeah. It was horrible. Yeah. So the first one you put to bed, and the s- second one uh, that's, you know, now that, your first book... That's bed as well. <laughs> <laughs> rose from the ashes of that first one. It was like 100,000 words was my second one, and it was really bad. <laughs> I can't, I can't publish it at all. Yeah. And, and that is the normal experience. And for a lot of people, they don't realize how bad that first book is. And they keep trying to bring Frankenstein back to life. And it's like, or they try bringing the monster back to life and they turn into Frankenstein because Frankenstein's the doctor. He's not the monster. No, I had to get new characters. So you're hoping to launch it in the fall. I would hold that launch date loosely because it's more important that you have a strong launch than that you do it in the fall, right? If you put it off a few months and have a stronger launch, your career will be much better off. So it's a real common mistake indies make is they launch too quickly. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about your platform. So you have a good idea of who your audience is, and you've done some research, finding out where they hang out on social media. And you're using social media, actually, how I recommend that you use social media. as a tool to listen and to research. It's not a tool to, like, blast people and be like, hey, buy my book. It doesn't work for that anymore. Right. Not unless you're willing to spend money. I like to see who are my readers. I like to see what they're doing and listen to them playing, you know, kind of getting their their vibes. Mm Mm-hmm. So uh, let's talk about your email list. How many of them have you met and introduced yourself to them enough where they wanted to give you their email address? Like met in person or online? Or online. You know, they read your short story and they wanted to get your email address or something like that. Uh, A lot of them were from when I gave a free course on how to teach violin. So I was dabbling some in the nonfiction realm as well. So that's where I got a lot of them. And then, of course, my real life contacts that have joined, you know, like friends and family. Okay, so you're really you're starting almost from scratch. You have some. And since you're targeting this niche, some of those violin teachers may be very interested in this book. So it's not like you throw those away, but they're they may not be readers. The downside is you have a lot of non readers mixed in because we live in a society where many people prefer to binge Netflix rather than reading a book. It's very sad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but other people do both yeah. and some people just read books. And so you'll, you'll eventually, as you send out more and more 
emails about your books, the non-readers will pretty quickly unsubscribe because they know they're not a reader. They're going to find those emails boring and they're going to unsubscribe. Do you think some would read a book specifically because it's in their their world? Does that make sense? Yeah, it's really hard to convince a non-reader to read a book for any reason. And typically, you can't do that. They're going to need to have two or three friends bludgeon them over the head with a book to transform themselves into a not, not a reader, into a reader. If somebody hasn't read a book for fun in five years, your book is not going to be the first book they read for fun. Right? There's been a lot of Hollywood movies based off of some really popular books that they have not read. And they're just not that kind of person. It's really hard to change someone. This is one of the things you have to accept as a marketer. We're not here to change people. We're here to connect with people as they are. Because people, you can't change somebody else. Only they can change themselves and only with great effort. <laughs> so, yes. This is a helpful relational advice, too. You can't change somebody else. And if you're trying, you're just setting yourself up for frustration. But it's also true in marketing. So, Let's talk about a little bit about how you're going to build up that email list. Because if you're, let's say your book was ready right now and you pushed a button and you put it on Amazon, even though you had this narrow niche, you don't have a way of letting them know about your book and your book is going to be a failure. It's going to not reach very many people. It's not going to spread because you've got to have enough of a fire for the fire to spread. Throwing a match on the ground isn't going to start a forest fire unless the conditions are just right. So we need to make the conditions just right. So you, you mentioned that you've written some short stories. Tell me a little bit about that. Yes. Well, and I started releasing them about a year ago, and I would release one about every two months. And they all took place at the same music university that I made up. Mm-hmm. So the same setting. and But it was different characters. So I used like a flutist and a clarinetist in one. And then I would do a trumpeter and a tuba player in another. So I tried to kind of make the rounds of the orchestra. And then in the spring, this spring, so after I'd done a year of releasing them, you know, every couple of months on like KDP and I dabbled some with draft to digital. Then I put them into a collection and turned it into an actual paperback book as well that I published on Ingram Spark and and on Amazon. And I was trying to do that more of a marketing tool than a so and because I didn't want my first book <laughs> to be to be the one, you know, that was the first thing I published was the work of my heart, if you will. And so right. not that I don't enjoy them, but it was not a big deal if it was super successful or not. It's more of, hey, here's a little bit about my writing. And I, I've listened to how you've recommended doing short stories first. And so I was trying to take that advice by working on those first and giving people little little snippets. And for some of them that aren't as big of readers, they have enjoyed them because they're like, oh, it's manageable bite-sized pieces. I can read one short story at night. And I didn't have to commit to a whole novel that's going to suck me in and keep me up all night. So I've gotten actually some good responses for that. <laughs> So this is an interesting implementation of the short story strategy. So when I recommend short stories, I don't actually recommend selling them on Amazon um, because it's hard to find people on Amazon. It's kind of putting your needle into a giant haystack. And while Amazon, uh, Seth Godin in his podcast, Akimbo, made a really interesting point about Amazon. He said, while Amazon sells everything, they don't sell anything. Amazon doesn't promote any one thing over anything else. There's no human who's being like, oh, I really like this Ashley Rescott. I'm going to recommend her books, right? The sort of thing that a merchant does or some sort of thing an independent bookseller would do. Uh, Amazon doesn't do that. It's all algorithmic. And the algorithm only has one metric, 
money. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like the more successful you are on Amazon, the more the algorithm is going to help you be more successful. That's basically it. It's not a very complicated algorithm. They're not making editorial decisions, at least not in any significant way. They might in a little bit in the political stuff, but even in the political stuff, I haven't seen a lot of evidence that my, uh, Amazon's making editorial decisions. They just started banning books like two months ago. Like, so they're yes, really like that's another topic, <laughs> which is a topic for another time. But everybody else is banning and canceling for years, right? Amazon's just started. <laughs> they're not right. sophisticated in this. And, and what that means is that they're not going to be helping you. Like, let's say the YouTube algorithm, right? You put videos up on YouTube, you find a niche and the, the algorithm will start recommending your videos to other people that they think is similar. Amazon's not going to be doing that until you're already pretty successful. You've got to be selling a certain number of, of books. It, it might do it a tiny bit, but since you're in a niche that doesn't really exist yet, there's not a lot of um, other authors to grab onto. Right. They had a very narrow space where it was like, I think it was children's or juvenile fiction performing arts. So there was that was the closest thing to this that exists. Otherwise, I'm just having to pick, you know, romance or young adult, more generalized or contemporary, you know, contemporary in speed romance or something. So you're out in front of the Amazon category with this. So you may actually try targeting some of those nonfiction categories and, and see how you do. So here's what I'd recommend. I'd recommend taking some of those short stories. You've already done all the work. They're Kindle ready. And I would recommend doing some story origins promotions. So storyorigin.com has got a bunch of cool things that you can do with book sweeps. And I'm going to have, I've done an episode with Evan Gao who runs Story Origin uh, back in the day, but Story Origin has grown to be a lot more than that. So I'm, I'm planning to do another interview with him in, in, in the next few months. But uh, I think it's Story Origin app is the name and they will allow you to do combinations with other authors. They'll allow you to get your short story in front of readers where they can get your short story for free in exchange for their email address, which for you is really much more valuable. Selling a book for 99 cents and taking home 10 or 20 cents. You never make money doing that. <laughs> 10 cents never adds up. Whereas an email address can be worth a lot, right? Somebody buys a book from you every year for the next 10 years. That one email address could be worth $20, $30. Right. And so right now in your career, you don't want to be prioritizing the money. You want to be prioritizing getting those email addresses, building that email list of target readers. So story origin is a really good website that can help you with this. Another one is uh, Book Sweeps. We've also done an episode on Book Sweeps. So it's run by Ryan Z. And what they do is they host like sweepstakes for books, except everybody's a winner. <laughs> and you get featured and people will go, I want these books to click, click, click. And they put their email address in and they get those books and you get the email addresses of those subscribers and you'll want to pretty quickly email them because some of them will turn into really solid email subscribers and with really good open rates but some of them won't and uh, book sweeps actually surprisingly effective i have authors in my mastermind groups and on authormedia.social do book sweeps i feel like every time ryan does a new round of uh, book sweeps several of our authors do them and they're typically always reporting back amazing results i got 300 i got 500 i got a thousand new email subscribers with a really good open rate. So book sweeps a really solid tool. And uh, so it's a much better thing to use those, uh, that bundle of eBooks <laughs> of short stories, much better for book sweeps than getting a few sales here and there on Amazon. Cause even if you do, let's say you sell your short story to somebody on Amazon 
and they love it. You don't have a way to tell them about your next book. <laughs> you don't know who they are and you don't know if Amazon's going to tell them who they are. So it's actually not that helpful in terms of platform building to sell a few books uh, here and there. And then I guess for listen to all that you go on uh, authormedia.com, click on the email category and just listen to all the email list building. Yes, I've listened to a lot of yeah the email list building and things like that. It almost feels a little bit more sometimes nonfiction like. Does that make any sense when you're starting out mm-hmm. in, in a niche that my my writing? Well, I write some nonfiction in my blog, but that in terms of targeting a specific group of people that that felt a little bit more like something a nonfiction author would do, even though I'm hoping to get some fiction, you know, readers than from it. Yeah, no, you can totally do. This is one of the advantages of being in a very small niche is that you're targeting this nonfiction gathering of people, but you're targeting them with your short stories. That's what you're using your short stories for. Your short story is the lead magnet. So you don't create a guide on like seven tips for being a better violin teacher. You're like, no, here's a short story. It's a romance between a violin teacher and an oboist. And normally there are sections of the orchestra at war, but they find a way to make peace or whatever. Or uh, I don't know if those sections, I didn't do band. I was in choir. So I, I got saved all the band drama, but you know, the band drama, Okay, well, choir counts too. I've got my Christmas short story is choir. <laughs> yeah, and you can work it into your story. So I would really be very aggressive at getting those short stories in front of your target niche. You know where they're hanging out. And offering them a free short story is a much easier ask. It doesn't feel as nearly as salesy. Right? You're like, hey, can I give you this free gift? So listen to that episode on reciprocity I did a few uh, weeks back. Um, you probably have already heard that one, but that's the thinking. You want to be like very generous with these short stories. And the more generous you are with the short stories, the more you'll help your target readers know that your genre exists, right? Because you've got this great kind of food for people who would love the food, but they've never tasted it before. And they don't believe that that food even could exist. And so you've got to get them to taste it. And so those short stories are really good tool for that and i might even consider taking them down off of amazon you don't have to having them on amazon's not necessarily hurting you but uh you definitely won't be able to have them in kdp select because amazon's not going to like they're not in kdp select i have i actually was able to pull off getting them up there for free at this point because i went through draft to digital and was able to do a free promo there so i'm able to have them free in both of those areas so that people can just kind of get the taste for them right now okay so you're you're current so this is what's called a perma-free strategy and i'm pulling up your site yes so the chronicles of music majors the complete edition is currently free so with a perma-free book one tactic that you can use is a book bub deal although you don't have enough uh, reviews for it to be a book bub deal how many reviews would you need like a hundred or so there's no hard and fast rule. I don't know if there's a, an official minimum, but you very rarely see less than 25 reviews on a BookBub deal, and usually you see triple digits. So Belton University, that's interesting, because I went to Mary Hardin Baylor, which is the university that took place in Belton, <laughs> and, uh, and the music department. And I went to Baylor. So. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. There, there you go. Uh, yeah, and I had a lot of friends in the music department at uh, Mary Hardin Baylor. Oh, Nice. So yeah, so that's something you can do down the road, but you can't do that now. So in some ways, you um, uh, you need to have a good launch. <laughs> so if you haven't gone through the book launch blueprint yes. yet, uh, going through that can really help you have a good launch because there's a lot of tactics to getting a lot of reviews out of the gate that if you have a good launch, right. there are other things that you can do that you can only do if you've had a good launch. 
and BookBub deals are a good example of this. If you had a good launch team, uh, which for you is money, right? Because you know exactly the kind of people to recruit for your launch team. Which I'm building that for my novel. I went with a small group kind of for the short stories. As I hate to call it more of a practice, like how to get these out there, but they really were more yeah, of a practice. Yeah. And I've got a lot. I, I, I'm trying to do kind of the aspire. I feel like if that was on your show or somebody else's, the advertising, social media platform, influencers, reviews, email list. Was that from one of your episodes? I mean, those are things that we talk about. Yeah. So I, somebody had used the Aspire acronym. So that's what I've got in my head as I've tried to. Oh, no, I don't do acronyms. I probably should, but that's probably from somebody oh. else. <laughs> okay. Well, it's stuck in my head a little better. So I was trying to think about that. So I've got a few people that I didn't ask, or actually a lot of people I didn't ask for the short stories that I've got. I'm hoping to have on the launch team for the novel. Okay. Especially for like within the violin world. Yeah. Right. And the more different violinists you can get and the more different orchestras, right? The different communities. Because while the music world hangs out online quite a bit, they also hang out a lot in person, right? There's a lot of chit-chatting in the pit and the music teachers are talking to each other in real life. And so the more geographically dispersed you can get your launch team, the better. And this is true for all launch teams, right? Because most people do most of their talking in real life still. (laughs) So uh, pandemic notwithstanding, you're still, if you're actually like clock the time you spent talking with your real life friends, it's still greater than with your fake friends on social media. Uh, And you trust them more. Right. Which actually is, I thought is encouraging in the sense that I still like real life interaction. (laughs) Everybody does. No one's like, you know what I need more in my life? I need more Facebook groups and more Zoom calls. Nobody is like that. (laughs) Those are better than nothing, but they're not better than real life. Uh, And I mean, maybe for some people they are, but for for most people, there's something to be said about interacting with real life because that's how we've always done it as humans. This whole like having a screen in between is is unnatural yes. <laughs> it's new it's foreign it doesn't mean it's always bad but it's very strange i think is the, is the word i'm looking for so going back to launch team you'll want to put together a launch team for your book for sure and, and you don't want it to be too big uh, for a first book launch team i, th- I feel that 20 to 50 people's uh, typically the right size of a launch team and so let's talk a little bit about advertising we're almost out of time but i want to talk about advertising because there's some advertising you can do right now in fact, we just had an episode on this about uh, using a lead magnet to grow an email list really quickly using Facebook ads. You can totally copy that tactic. It, for those of you who want to go back and listen, it was the zero to 6,000 emails in one year. Um, and what he did was he had a lead magnet. It was a strong lead magnet. He bought Facebook ads, driving people to a landing to page, promoting that lead magnet. And you may be like, oh, but he was nonfiction. I can't do that. False. You can totally do that. Just use your short story collection. <laughs> And you have a really targetable group, right? How do you know if somebody's a violinist? They will tell yes. you. <laughs> These are people. This is not some secret thing about their psyche that only Facebook knows. This is a very targetable tactic. Yes. It's niche, but it's very established niche, if that makes sense. Not the music fiction part is not established, but classical musician violinist is very, you know, long established. And, at, you know, we talked about how people might have a dozen different identities or dozens of identities, right? They're a Longhorn fan. They're a Dallas Cowboys fan, right? Those are kind of, for most people, pretty tangential identities. Being a musician is a pretty core identity, actually, for a, especially the kind of musician who's in the orchestra, especially in their 20s. They're still doing it. That's a really deep identity, right? They're probably getting lots of 
music related Christmas presents from their distant relatives, right? Because that's the identity they best most understand. And which means it's a really powerful identity to target with marketing. And why I feel like this genre has a lot of potential. You know, I don't know if it'll be, like I said, I don't think it's going to become science fiction, but it will definitely, if, if you do well and if a few other authors join you, it definitely could earn its own uh, category on Amazon here in a few years, I think. That's what I would love. I, I would love to see other people that have the strengths in the other, you know, pre-existing genres, like we said, if you got the sci-fi or the thriller or the action, you know, to go to join me as the romance, you know, to getting these different ones would be would be cool. Well, so so here's what the process will look like. If you're successful, you'll make, you know, $100,000, $200,000, and that success will attract people who follow this, people like Alex at Kalytics who do reports on like, hey, here's a new micro genre that's emerging. People are making a lot of money. And he'll do a report. And then the people who are able to write to market really well will read that report and they'll be like, oh, man, Ashley Rescott's making a killing and no one else is writing books like hers. I'm going to write book, books like hers. And then you have a dozen people who are writing in your market and they're all making tons of money and they're all trying to be as quiet as possible. But the Kalytics reports are still out there <laughs> and they're attracting more and more people. And the more people that come, the more promotion they do to reach more people and bring new readers into the market. And so you get more readers coming in, you get more authors coming in until you get uh, the challenges when you have a lot of people who are bad at writing. <laughs> like the third wave come in and they flood the market with really right. mediocre uh, books that um, maybe they're not even a musician, right? But they're like, oh, there's some easy, quick money here, and they start writing on the on the genre. Oh, that would be a disaster if they're a bad writer and a bad musician. Yeah. But <laughs> I was curious which you'd recommend more targeting to musicians to learn how to write or writers to learn about the music world. Obviously, I came from it being musician first and writer second. Yeah, so the people who are going to come in are going to be people who are writers first, and because it's a it's not hard to learn music culture. To learn how to master the violin is a lot of work, but to know the difference between a violin and an oboe, you can do that pretty quickly. And understanding the community, and, and that's going to be a lot easier to do that research than to like learn how to craft a good story. Now, just because people down the road in this fictional future that we're painting aren't as good writers, that's okay, right? The, the market will mature, and readers will find ways of figuring out who the good readers are and the bad readers are. And typically that's on Goodreads uh, where the reviews are much more honest and they're much more dynamic. So on Amazon, typically everyone has between four and five stars. Whereas on Goodreads, uh, three stars means I liked it in the Goodreads world. Okay. So it is different than Amazon in that sense. It's very different. So one star is I hated it. Two stars is I didn't like it. Three stars is I liked it. Four stars is I really liked it. And five stars is I loved it. And so people often, they're like, oh, I only have three stars on, on Goodreads. I'm like, no, that means people like your book. Doesn't mean they love your book, but it means they like, like your great book. great inflation. Whereas three stars on Amazon, somebody's pretty angry about something. Um, the, and it makes Amazon reviews actually a little bit harder to interpret for customers. And they typically look at the number of ratings rather than the number of stars because almost all products have about the same stars. In fact, you, some, a product that's three and a half stars, you get really suspicious because it's very uncommon to see that in the aggregate. So we're almost out of time, but what other questions do you have about niche marketing? I think those are the main ones was, yeah, addressing the nonfiction versus fiction audience, bringing other authors on board with this. And then, yeah, using kind of my acronym of Aspire on how to see them in these different areas. And then I have targeted some of the big influencers. I liked how you talked about a few 
weeks ago on one of the episodes that you said you don't necessarily have to become a Twitch genius yourself because I got on Twitch and I binged for like a week, which is how I tend to figure out a new social <laughs> network. And then I burned myself out and I'm like, oh, I'm not you know famous like this other Twitch person. So I actually contacted one of the famous violin Twitch musicians and I said, hey, can I sponsor you to do a Twitch stream where you play one of the songs from my novel and, you know, when it comes out. And she was thrilled. She thought that would be great. And she's got her chops up more than even I do right now because I'm focusing a lot more on the writing and publishing and this side of things. And she's actually playing more. And she could get one of these big shot concertos up a lot faster than I can. And so I said, hey, I took your advice that I was like, I'm going to pay you to do a Twitch stream that I can sponsor rather than me having to worry about having thousands of Twitch followers. Obviously, I'd like to build it, but it, you know. Right, right. I love that. And so just just out of curiosity, how much how big is her following? How many subscribers does she have on Twitch? She had several thousand and even just on one Twitch stream where she was like practicing, she had over 100 people just showing up for like a practice session. So and then she's also got a YouTube. Okay. And how much is she charging you for this sponsored post? Honestly, she said she would do it for free, but I value (laughs) musicians. So I was like, no, I'm going to pay you. So I'm paying her $100 because I value what she's doing as a musician. And I know how much work it is to play this concerto because I played it in high school. So I'm paying her a hundred because I think musicians should be paid for their work. <laughs> so, th- this this is the perfect illustration of what I'm talking about. Becoming an influencer, you do all of this work, and there's just so little money in it. Which means, as an author, you can spawn, you get to pick your own price, right? She would have accepted free. You picked a hundred dollars, which you know, good for you because you know musicians are worthy of being paid. I, I feel. We do get asked to do free gigs all the time. So yeah, <laughs> hey, will you play my wedding for free? It's only four hours, <laughs> but we're good friends. Um, yes. So uh, yeah. So I, I love that. I I want to keep researching more people to reach out to. And I don't know how big the music Twitch world is. Twitch is more for those of you who are like, what is Twitch? Twitch used to be Justin TV. It was a live TV platform, and there was a guy I believe just went around with a webcam on his head all day live streaming his life and i think his name was justin if i remember correctly yeah they're on there for hours and hours i'm not gonna lie like i kind of got overwhelmed (laughs) yeah and the platform really struggled but there was one part of the platform that was really uh, thriving it was video games people would live stream them playing video games and they ended up rebranding the platform to twitch and really leaned heavily into watching somebody else play video games so if you want to watch a 12 year old play minecraft Twitch has hundreds or thousands of 12-year-olds playing Minecraft you can watch or Fortnite or whatever. And you can search by game. But the old Justin TV part of Twitch is still there. So not everyone on Twitch is playing Fortnite. Some of them are playing concertos or whatever. Yes, I think that's what was cool was this is how, I mean, musicians, they spend three or four hours a day practicing their instrument. Well, now they can spend three or four hours a day streaming their practice session for those who want to, you know, almost hang out together because it's a very solo feeling profession in that sense. But this way, they've created that community so that they can kind of do that together and support each other, which I like. I mean, imagine having an audience of 100 people watching you practice, right? That's a bigger audience right. than a lot of violinists have when they perform. <laughs> so yes, yes. Uh, that that's incredible. 
they do take requests though. So there's that. Yeah. Oh yeah. And there's interactivity and money changes hands too. People will leave, you know, super chats. So yes, I, I gave her tips. Yeah. So, <laughs> and they tip and boost uh, the, um, I get the vocabulary between YouTube live and Twitch mixed up a little bit, but there's a whole world here. And what I don't want you all listening he- to hear is, Oh, I need to go get on Twitch. <laughs> it's like, no, Twitch may not be for you. It may not be your target audience. It skews younger and excuse male it's not everybody's yeah and there's that's not a big reading audience but it is for certain genres if you're writing the right kind of genre it may be for you and just because it skews male doesn't mean that everyone on twitch is a guy and not everyone watching twitch is a guy i will admit the reason i got on twitch was because Lindsay sterling the violinist was hosting her book club there and that's why i joined yeah and Lindsay is a perfect fit for twitch because she's got that nerdier brand she does lots of covers of songs from video games right so she's a violinist but she'll play the skyrim theme which for most people are like what's the skyrim theme but if you know you know and that's i i think a perfect place to end this because that's that's what niche marketing is all about you're not trying to appeal to everyone you're trying to appeal to a small group of people and you're really trying to thrill them and so Ashley, I hope you all the best with your book launch. I I think you're well positioned to have a strong launch. And if you do create, I'll I'll say this, if Amazon adds a genre for musical fiction, I want to have you back on and we'll see how well my prediction (laughs) lined up with what actually happened. Because I know there'll be lots more twists and turns. And I, I do hope that you're able to create a genre and that we get to watch. I think that'll be a lot of fun. Thanks so much. I'd love to come back. Our featured patron today is Peter DeHaan, author of 52 Churches. Peter and his wife visited a different Christian church every Sunday for a year. This book is their story. Discover more about Jesus' church, the people who go there, and just how vast our practices of worship are. Peter, thank you so much for being a patron of the Novel Marketing Podcast. I appreciate your support helping keep the show on the air. And if you would like to become a patron... And get the bonus patrons-only episode every month, as well as exclusive patrons-only discount. You can do that at authormedia.com. The Novel Marketing Podcast is a production of Author Media. This episode's audio was edited by William Umstadt. The blog post is by Shauna Latelier, and I am Thomas Umstadt, Jr., your host. To find that blog version of this episode, visit authormedia.com slash 288. Thank you for listening, and live long and prosper. I used to feel overwhelmed by conflicting advice about writing and publishing. Social media distracted me from what I most wanted to do, write my book. I felt depressed, discouraged, and anxious about my writing. A friend asked if I had been checked for TMFG, too many Facebook groups. TMFG keeps approximately 72% of writers from reaching their publishing goals. Fortunately, there is a treatment, a new social network called authormedia.social that allows you to reduce your dependence on Facebook groups to connect with other authors. AuthorMedia.social is not for everyone. If you are serious about developing your craft, growing your platform, and connecting with other writers, AuthorMedia.social may be for you. Side effects may include increased focus, greater clarity, raising enthusiasm, more time to write. Ask your doctor about AuthorMedia.social today.